the Experienced Darden Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Daniel Dickey. Daniel is a member of our full-time MBA class of 2021, and he is also a student founder. Daniel and I recently connected via Zoom to talk more about his background, his MBA journey, what led him to Darden, and his venture, the Million Word Challenge. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Daniel Dickey. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brad, good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, The sun is out here in Charlottesville today. I appreciate that, though it is slightly bittersweet for me. Uh, Yesterday, I finished my final darting class, and it has been a transformative experience, something I've dreamt about for a long time, and, you know, just sort of basking in what this feels like. Feels good. Yeah, it, we can understand it would be a bittersweet thing, right? So the MBA program is over, graduation on the horizon, um, but a lot to look forward to, I'm sure, as well. Um, one of the fun questions that we've had, been at, that we've been asking of guests here on the podcast over the past year or so is, have you picked up any hobbies uh, over the past uh, year during the pandemic? Anything that you've been enjoying doing as we've spent a little bit more time at home? Yeah, um, good, good question. I, is reading cases on a regular basis a hobby? If so, I've gotten really, really good at reading about all sorts of financial and strategy cases for businesses around the globe. Um, I think we can count that as a, as a hobby. Um, maybe, is there any tertiary hobby, anything else that you've been doing? Trying to cook really fantastic omelets. I want to ensure they're, they're fluffy and delicious. Um, Saturday mornings, I try to uh, make a, a great omelet for my wife, but, but definitely reading cases is what I've spent most of my time doing. All right. I'm going to come back to you on the omelet. All right. Any techniques that you've learned along the way here as you've worked to perfect your omelet recipe? See, perfect is a generous term and I wouldn't want any chef to listen to what I'm saying. And I get an email like, hey, Daniel, you know, yes, you're supposed to put some salt in with the eggs. You might mix in some milk to give it a little fluff. But I I do not see myself as a professional omelet maker, just someone who dabbles on Saturday morning. So not not quite ready to share any advice. All right. Well, we won't push it too far here. (laughs) Um, We know that this is a business school podcast, not an omelet podcast, at least not yet. Um, So, Well, if it's good enough, a good omelet could be a good business, though I haven't read any cases about it just yet. Well, you would know. It sounds like you spent the past year really reading cases. No surprise for for a Darden Darden student. So, um, Daniel, thanks again for coming on the podcast. So I want to spend the first half of our our time here today talking more about your story and your experience here at Darden. And we've been interviewing a number of the student founders um, who've been in the ECUP here from the Darden School over the past few weeks. And so I'm excited to tell your story about your venture here as well. But let's go back a little bit. Uh, Tell us what you did before coming to Darden. Yeah, so I'll probably step way back for, to lead up to everything. So uh, born and raised in South Florida, had two really great blue collar parents who worked hard to provide me a great life. In regard to education, I think growing up, I didn't really see education and specifically higher education as something for me. I didn't really aspire to that. I didn't think that was my track in life. And after Graduating high school, I went to a local commuter school, was working, putting myself through college, but still didn't see the correlation between higher education and a profound, meaningful life or what can be. And took some time off and worked 
you know, several non-glamorous jobs, moved away for a bit. And I think two distinguishing or important things came out of that for my life is one, I began to see everyone who I believed had a meaningful job or a meaningful career, they were heading somewhere and sometimes very quickly, they all pursued higher education. They all had, uh, you know, gone and graduated from college, gone to and graduated from college. And the other thing I picked up was reading. Uh, what started early on from just seeing a, a stoop where someone left out a whole handful of books with a sign that said, free, take me, and picked up a couple of those books and it, it changed my life. So I think in that downtime, I, I clearly realized higher education mattered and I started reading furiously, which I'll forever be grateful for. And after, you know, working up the skill set, the aptitude to really go back to college and excel. I, I re-enrolled. I had an amazing time. I was an English literature major with concentration in writing. And I spent every single day either in the classroom in college or at my local public library where I, I spent all my time. I was reading early on. I was catching up on many of the subjects or books that I wish I picked up in high school but then broadly reading about MBA programs or history or the nuances of life. That's, that's what I spent my college years doing. Uh, not, not the traditional, I wasn't out at too many bars or hanging out. I was more in, in the libraries packed with a bunch of books. And when I became the first person in my family to graduate from college, I felt pretty certain I wanted to give other kids an understanding of how important education was. And in a conversation with someone, I was speaking about inequities in education and how passionate I was to try to do something to make a difference. Someone recommended I look at Teach for America, was overjoyed to be accepted and even more thankful to be able to walk into a classroom and teach hundreds of great kiddos. I was a 10th grade English and writing teacher and they would probably give me a hard time about how enthusiastic I was about not only them learning that day's lesson, but also reading on a regular basis, no matter what it was, and understanding that education, no matter the pathway, can take you farther in life. Um, but what became interesting is as I was sort of pushing all these great kids to higher education, if it worked for them, if it made sense for them, I was really realizing there was still a lot I didn't know. Personally, I actually never applied to college. So as I was writing recommendation letters, I wanted to give them the best shot. So I bought all of those books that maybe a gun-ho parent might buy when they have a junior in, in high school. I started reading about college admissions, realized how much there was there and thought that I could learn a whole lot more. So I was really grateful to be accepted to Harvard where I did a master's in higher education, uh, specifically spent that year writing and researching about college access and opportunities in college. And as I wrapped that up, I had a really charismatic professor who is also a first-gen student who became the Dean of Admissions at Dartmouth. I quickly turned down a fellowship and applied there and spent the next several years doing everything I could to provide every kid everywhere with a life-changing education. And yeah, it, it was a wonderful opportunity. I think I, I ultimately ended as Associate Director of Admissions, but the moment that was most meaningful for me, we were actually able to accept one of my previous high school students a brilliant, smart, young woman who's gonna do great things in life. And I think for me, starting as someone who never really saw myself going to college to being in that position to help other great kids get there, um, my, my work felt, felt fulfilling in the education space.
That's an incredible story. Um, listeners know that this is a pro book, pro library podcast. I wonder, are there any books that from that time where you were just reading furiously and obviously being an English major and an English teacher, there are any like books that are just super meaningful to you that still hang with you to this day? Uh, that's, it's, it's probably like a, a parent with, with a whole busload of kids saying, which kid is the most important? <laughs> They're all special to you in a, in a specific uh, way. But if there are two that, that stand out, I think considering this is business school. So one was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I, I, that was one of the few books I read uh, growing up. And that affirmed to me the understanding of assets and liabilities. It, it was written in a way for the lay person to understand business. And even though I didn't read much more, that always stuck with me and made me interested in business and entrepreneurship. And then it's a safe answer, but I think it's a great book, The Great Gatsby. So when I was in those libraries, one of the first things I did is I said, let me go back to the high school canon of books and let me reread all of these as an adult. Let me explore these in a different way. And I thought The Great Gatsby was just so poetic. It was written in a way where I was fully encapsulated into this world. Um, it, it's next to me on my bookshelf and there are many other really great books, but those two really stand out to me. Well, believe it or not, this is the second time we've talked about The Great Gatsby here on the podcast. We had Greg Fairchild on, uh, feels like forever ago, but just a, just about a year ago, talking about his ethics through literature course. And Gatsby is one of those books that they read in that course, typically, or at least he's taught in the past. I think he thinks that it's an interesting book to come back to as an adult. I think you look at Gatsby, you look at the dynamic in that book, you look at Nick Carraway. Um, the characters in a much more nuanced way. It's a, more, it's a more complex read as an adult versus when you encounter it in high school. Absolutely. All right. So our listeners, hearing your story, Teach for America, master's, uh, obviously higher education work, maybe a little surprised by your decision to pursue an MBA. So how did you come around to the idea of an MBA is the right path for you? Yeah. So you know, and I, I think for many, sometimes we look at the pathway as this one singular thing. And, you know, ho hopefully my life, um, it, it affirmed to me at least that there are many pathways forward um, and it's all right to jump to different pathways. So I still see me pursuing education, doing everything I can, whether I'm a local mentor or tutor, whether I'm just having conversations with great parents and kids on Zoom talking about education, that's always there. Um, I, I didn't you know, when I was wrapping up my work in education, I appreciated that impact. And I actually thought the MBA would be a way to expand that impact. So I had read about an MBA. I saw that as a degree that gave you a broad skill set. And in that, I mean, you know, a master's of business. Well, what is business? Is it entrepreneurship? Is it thought leadership in business? Is it human capital and people leadership? There are many ways you can come into an MBA and be enlivened and enriched as a person, as an intellectual. And I saw an MBA as an opportunity for me to become a better leader, uh, a, a kinder, ethical, grateful, generous leader with the ability to make discount cash flow, with the ability to understand the nuances of bonds and, and the market and economics. Some of those were pretty foreign topics to me. But I knew if I wanted to lead organizations, if I wanted to plan and strategize budgets, an MBA would give me that skill set. Um, 
So it had always been on my mind probably since, you know, rich dad, poor dad. I just didn't know what an MBA was at that time, but I knew I wanted to learn more in business and coming out of education, it seemed like the, the next greatest step. Well, the, the next logical question, at least for, for this podcast, is how did Darden get on your radar? And ultimately, what led you to say, this is the right MBA program for me? Great question. So when I first started reading about college admissions, I heard the term fit often, you know, fit. And it seems a bit nebulous. What is, what is actually fit? But working in higher education, there are distinguishing qualities about an, in, of an institution that might speak to the individual student. Um, so when I thought about you know, my, my fortunate, my second graduate degree, I really focused on like fit and where do I wanna live? What sort of education do I want? With whom do I wanna share and experience these next two years? And the first thing was location was pretty important to me. So my wife and I are both from Florida. We lived in the Northeast. We liked seasons, but I think we were sick and tired of the extremes. We didn't quite want to sweat in the, the summer or freeze in the winter. And Charlottesville is an absolutely lovely place to experience the seasons. Um, the other thing, I really put a lot of emphasis on the type of education. And specifically as a practitioner, as a teacher, I believe that our participatory education matters, right? The more you engage a classroom, the more people are on their toes, whether that's because they're ready to participate or they're preparing for that moment, uh, the more learning takes place. In uh, my, my first master's degree, I took some case method classes and I, I knew for me personally, that this is what I need and Darden being a case method classroom really excited me. Um, and then also in location, there's the idea of a college town. For most individuals post an MBA, they're gonna go work in a big city and they can deal with traffic and and the good things that I guess come out of a big city as well. But I think there's a lot of value in spending two years of an MBA, or if you're in a one-year program, one year of an MBA, you know, surrounded by your peers. It, it is distinguishing that, you know, 90 to 95% of my classmates probably live within a half mile to a mile from campus. It is distinguishing that 90 to 95% of my classmates probably live in one of three developments. And I really wanted to be in an institution where I could spend two years getting to know everyone really, really well, because these are bonds and connections that you forge here that last for a lifetime. And my thought was being in a college town, those bonds would be a bit stronger. All right. So you come to Darden and you're a first year student. And we've talked a bunch here on the podcast about the adjustment to learning at Darden. You've highlighted some of the things that somewhat similar to past experiences that you've had, but nevertheless, graduate business education, there's a learning curve. What was that first year like for you, Daniel? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, there was certainly a learning curve. And that, that's something that distinguishes Darden as an institution. You know, the faculty are continually rated, you know, some of the best faculty in the world, because they are here to teach and, and you need to be prepared. I, I was lucky enough to go to Darden before Darden. And if someone's not familiar with that, think of all the poets who maybe don't have quite the quant skills. They get the opportunity to come in, you know, I think it's two weeks before to sort of brush up on everything. Um, me being a, a, a hard worker, I actually worked all the way up until Darden before Darden. The day before I was doing a road trip down and I had read my case, I was familiar, we were pricing out bonds. But I didn't do all of the Excel work and Excel was still a bit foreign to me, but I, I was prepared to like 
step into the Darden classroom and roughly just talk about this. I remember sitting um, in the top row as we, we kindly refer to as the sky deck and Mark Lipson, finance professor, he's engaging the classroom, everyone's laughing, we're having a great time. And he said, okay, now let's see what the, how we price the bond, wanna hear some answers, tell me how you got there. Daniel, why don't you walk me through everything? And the shock, the fear, the panic that struck me in that moment, I, I will forever remember it. Fortunately, I had a peer named D another Daniel who was sitting next to me and he quickly hopped in and saved my, my life. But from that moment, I realized Darden is not a place you just sort of show up and, and just talk, you know, blow out hot air. This is a place where you work with your learning team, with your peers, your friends to prepare, to add value in the classroom. Um, I was, we, we've talked about earlier, but I was really fortunate to be elected section rep. And when, I remember when I ran, it wasn't on, you know, I know everything. It was, I don't know anything. And I'm humble enough, grateful enough to be here that I will work through it with all of you. And being in a Darden classroom, at least section A, go Lions, 2020 Darden Cup champions, we work together to say, if you don't know something, if you need help, like we are here together. Uh, for many of my classmates, we actually started a poets group. So we'd meet on Fridays um, and someone who is, you know, astute in the material would walk the rest of the class through it. So whether, you know, it was a friend walking us through econ or someone who's really good at finance walk, walking us through finance, it was a place, I think in summation, it is a place that is gonna push you academically, but you have so many resources to guide you, you know, not only to matriculation, but all the way through graduation. And I feel, you know, much more profound. I'm still nervous about the cold calls. You, you always are, but I, I feel better prepared to answer all of them. I like this idea of a poets group, uh, not a dead poet society though, just to be clear. Yeah, the, the, the uh, reader in me loves that idea, but no, it was just poets. It was more uh, microeconomics, macroeconomics, um, and maybe DA, decision analysis. Uh, I was stumped on my decision tree for that. Well, we've been talking with some first year students who are now in the fourth quarter of the first year. They're out of the core, they're taking electives. I wanna talk a little bit about your second year experience because just having the experience of talking with students here, first year, in second year, there's kind of different vibes, different feels to these years. Um, you also get the sense, at least from the conversations I've had, Daniel, is that second year has this like real choose your own adventure quality to it where people are picking electives and they're getting involved in extracurricular activities and kind of out, outside the classroom, their lives get, get very rich as well. Not to say that's not part of first year, but it really seems to expand in second year. So I wonder what second year looked like for you. Yeah. So. Second year was interesting because we're in a global pandemic. So spending much more time at home than, than I expected, but I wanted to be a thoughtful citizen and community member. So I, I spent a lot of time in my house, but being an optimist, trying to be someone who's generative, I really wanted to shape my second year and use the MBA to do something of meaning, at least to me. So. It was choose your own adventure. And I took some wonderful classes. I took an investments class that blew me away with Professor Rich Evans, which I know he was on the podcast recently. Um, I took entrepreneurial courses with Damon DeVito, with Saris. I, I took so much that expanded my grasp and understanding of the business world, but really dialed into the idea of entrepreneurship. So as someone who obviously loves reading, 
when I wanted to get my students to read as a teacher, um, many of them laughed at me uh, very quickly when I explained to them how much I wanted to read. And I saw there are a bunch of fantastic veteran teachers around the world who create, a, create like reading challenges for their kids. Many of them, they challenge them to read a million words. And I thought this was fabulous. I saw how reading changed my life and I wanted to ensure I could give that opportunity to my kiddos. But something I switched was I, I started the million word, you know, or sort of reading challenge. But I realized as a teacher, kids love and they're motivated by competition. And one day after class, I was looking at my smartwatch and I was looking at my steps and I realized one of my friends had more steps than me. So I knew I was going to walk around more that night because I wanted to beat the friend. And it sort of clicked when I thought about the reading challenge. I said, well, rather than just the challenge, what if there was a way to gamify this? So kids were competing every day. They saw how many words kids, their peers were reading. And so what I did in my second year is I took photos of all my students, I hung them up in front of the classroom and under their picture, I put a post-it with words and it all started zero words for every one of them. And I explained to them, you know, throughout the year, we are gonna track and chart your success in reading. And for the kids who were ready reading, they saw this, like, I can't wait. Like, I, I, give me the whole Harry Potter series. I'm gonna go through it in this weekend. Um, and then for some of my other students that were more hesitant, they they're giving me a look like, wait, Mr. Dickey, you mean to tell me you're going to put I have zero words on the bulletin board while everyone else is reading? I was like, well, it doesn't have to be zero. Why don't you come over at lunch or after class and we could talk about some books that might excite you. And if I don't have the book, I'll buy it for you to get you reading. Um, it worked really well in the class. And since I, I left the classroom, I've thought about that a lot. How can I get kids reading more? So I've spent much of my second year you know, working on the million word challenge, uh, interactive app that challenges any kid anywhere to read more um, by gamifying books into words. So the Great Gatsby, for example, I know is just over 47,000 words. So it's not only, you know, if you're a 10th grader, it's not this nebulous, oh yeah, I'm gonna read the Great Gatsby because it's in the canon, I must. Well, now it's, hey, this chapter is probably 4,000 words that's exciting. What's my peer? What are my peers reading? How are they reading? How many are they reading? So just worked on a way to try to get great kiddos to read more. I'm so interested about how you actually track the words. What about your paperback readers versus the, the e-readers? Um, this had to come up in your, oh. your business. Yeah. So Brett, I am a paperback reader. I love the feel of books. I, 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 I There's something special to me. It's probably I, for many people, there are moments in life where you look back and there's a sense of joy or glee. And for me, it's holding a book. So I haven't, though a good friend of mine bought me a Kindle several years back, I haven't quite gravita gravitated towards it. Um, so what I've done is I've hacked, uh, there are websites online where you can find uh, word counts. So that's, I pull word counts. So in my app, every book that's listed, I'm proactively going online, I'm pulling the word counts, which websites can get from publishers. If for some reason I can't find a word count, I do a rough guesstimation, you know, how many lines are on a page, how many pages are in the book, roughly how many words per line, and then just multiply that out, which I think business school taught me definitely how to multiply and I'm able to deduce how many words approximately are in a book. All right. Well, I, I, as a reader, very, very passionate reader myself, I'm, I'm really intrigued by your, your idea and 
you've entered some of the stages of the E Cup recently and and won, uh, which is inc incredible. What what drove you to say, hey, look, I've developed this idea. I want to participate in the Entrepreneurship Cup. I think a few things. So one. Darden has a bustling entrepreneur scene. Many people who are thinking about ventures, they might be recruiting and, and going more traditional route post MBA, post business school. But, you know, I think that's very millennial right now. It's very happy. People are thinking about solving problems. Who am I going to be as a member of a global world? How am I going to make a difference? Or maybe I just see a problem in the world or in business that I want to solve. And Taking Darden courses has, on the one side, give me, given me a foundational toolkit to be a better business founder and leader, but on the other side, push me to think about how do you start a business? What are the steps? How do you do market research? You know, when do you build it or when do you drop it? When do you hire someone to do that? Um, so Darden pushed me to do this, and I think with the overwhelming resources, not only at the school, but in the community said, no, keep going. Like, this is a great idea, do something else. And had folks push me to say, well, there are competitions for things like this at Darden. They're giving out money to help you make a difference. Why don't you apply? And, and I did, and when I won the first one, I, I was overjoyed. I thought this was great. They could get a couple bucks and I could turn this idea into reality. It's fortunate to apply to the second one. And when I won that, I said, oh, there's a couple more bucks here. And what that helped me do was go from idea to actually turning this into something plausible. You know, it went from quickly getting a website to actually creating an app where kids right now can download and start tracking, um, tracking their words and becoming more uh, engaged readers. There's still some bugs there, but uh, <laughs> we're making progress. It's all part of a process, as I've understood from these conversations that I've been fortunate enough to have with some of our, our student founders. Uh, what's your ultimate goal with the Million Word Challenge? As you look forward, I mean, what's on the horizon for you? Yeah, Brett, that's a, a deep question about life and meaning and who I want to be remembered as. And it's something I, I still think about. But really, the ultimate goal is probably the original goal. I, I want every kid everywhere reading more. I feel deeply connected to books and specifically education. And there's something about books maybe I, I should pinpoint. It's that you know, there, there are worlds in books that enrich lives. There's information in books that give deep important knowledge to change everyday situations. And that's why I feel so connected to it. So why I want kids to read is not just because, hey, reading, seems fancy and people do it in, in fancy uh, schools. It's saying, if there's something you want to know, right? I know there's Google, yes. But if you want to know it in a, a deep, profound way, there's a book there for you. Um, yeah. I, so yeah, I, I could say, hey, this is an app and it's ed tech and ed tech's hot in the space right now. But really, I just want kids to pick up books. I want to chat with them about reading. I want to know what gave them joy, what made them smile, what got their heart pumping as they're reading a mystery novel, or you know, how were they able to use a book to, to do something they've dreamt about for so long. So getting kids reading more than ever. Listen, I think that's all an idea that we can get behind. And if you think about the power of books to get you beyond your lived experience, what you've known in the world, kind of take you somewhere, expose you to perspectives and 
experiences that you just may not naturally encounter in your course of your everyday life. I mean, that's a powerful thing, regardless of your age, whether you're a kid, adult, whomever you may be. Yeah, Brett, that was beautifully amplified. I might use that next time someone asks me <laughs> what I want to do. I'm going to quote you directly. I, I, I Certainly taking you beyond your lived experience, learning to empathize, understand, and engage with the human experience. Um, I wish I was reading a lot earlier, but I, I make up for it every day now. Well, there's a very long kind of romanticized conversation between myself and Greg Fairchild in an earlier podcast here on Experience Starting, um, all about this very, very concept. So um, please feel free to check that out, Daniel. Um, two, two book guys talking about books. It goes on for a while. So um, let's talk, you know, one last question for you here as we kind of wrap up. I mean, so listeners, obviously very, very interested in your experience here, what you've been able to accomplish. Sounds like an exciting time for the million word challenge. Uh, what would be your piece of advice or suggestion for people who are listening to this podcast, thinking about an MBA, thinking about Darden? It's another deep layered question, but for anyone listening, so one, uh, congratulations. This is almost like a book on tape. This is like a, a faux audio book. Um, what, what I would say to you is what I'd say to my, myself. I think hard work beats brilliance. If you are considering an MBA, you're considering a graduate education, or maybe you're like me, you were, you were late working on undergraduate education and you're, you're just there, you know, set, setting a goal, backwards planning, being strategic and methodical and how am I going to get there is really important. And I don't, I, I don't think brilliance is static. I think hard work and grit and determination with guidance from others. And, and that's really, really important because the slope that we all climb is very different depending on who you are. And many times uh, a hand from another or advice from another can help you surmount that slope. But no matter who you are, where you're coming from, if this is something you wanna pursue, it is your right path. And remember, there is not just one path to any MBA or any educational experience. Um, if, if you don't have a helping hand, you don't have a human, that's where those books come back in, right? I read many books about MBAs and I read many blogs and I also listen to podcasts. And so I, I would advise you there. I, I would offer myself as well. I'm sure I'll get a bunch of emails, but hey, I, give me time. I'll work through all of them. I, I think what's paramount is education will change your life. I am continually grateful to be a part of such a distinguished institution. I'm continually thankful to have learned from such esteemed, kind faculty members. And I know my life is forever changed. And for all of you, if this is a path that excites you, I, I hope you're able to reach whatever that pinnacle is, whatever you know that end result is. The one nuance to remember is once you get there, you then have to keep walking. I, I'm about to graduate with my MBA and for, for so long, um, coming from humble beginnings, I thought of something like this. And now that I've reached it, I now have to devise my next path uh, in the world. Well, Daniel, uh, such a powerful message there. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. A uh, little bit of a lighter question here for you. So we started out the podcast talking about all the cases that you've been reading. And we talked a bunch about books here. Is there anything sitting on your nightstand, on your bookshelf right now that's been in the gosh, uh, I have been wanting to read this for months. Now I finally have a little bit more time. I'm going to read this book. 
Yeah, great question. <laughs> there, there, are, there are a bunch of books. So that is the one downside of reading hundreds and hundreds of cases. When, when you have a couple moments at night before you fall asleep, you don't always run to a, a book. But what I have sitting right next to me is Atomic Habits by James Clear. I, I really enjoyed it thus far. Specifically, I like his use of charts because I can read them now better than ever post MBA. Um, I'm about halfway into that, but that's actually what I hope to do for the next month post-graduation. I have a ton of great titles that I've picked up, a ton of great recommendations from peers that are in my Amazon cart. And I plan to spend a month just catching up on the beauty of reading while also working on the app to motivate others to enjoy that beauty as much as possible. Well, I appreciate that book recommendation. It was also a book recommendation from Professor Shane DeColey to our incoming executive MBA student. So you're in good company. Um, yeah, he was, absolutely. said, you got to read this book. It'll be super helpful for busy working professional students trying to balance Darden and their lives and careers simultaneously. What about you, Brett? Are you, do you have any books on your, on your nightstand, any books at your desk? Oh, I always, always, Daniel. I, I've found myself now reading three books simultaneously. It may mean that you're actually not reading any of them, but I'm doing, <laughs> doing my best. Um, I'm reading Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, um, about sort of psychedelics and what they teach us about human consciousness. I am reading Cormac McCarthy's first novel in a quest to read his entire catalog. I've gone all the way back to the beginning. It's a book called The Orchard Keeper. And I'm also reading a John, Johnny Cash biography that I borrowed from my dad. So uh, those are the books that I'm working through right now. Lovely. To all the listeners, Brett is raising the bar when it comes to literacy. So, you know, don't, you don't have to be there on day one, but with the help of an app and, and some passion, enthusiasm, you could get there. Brett, I, I will follow up with you. I'll send you the word count for those books so you could start uh, challenging yourself to read a million words every year. You know what? I'm all for that. I tried to read 100 books last year, Daniel. I got to 89. It still bugs me. I got to get to 100. There, there's a point in business school where we're always pushing ourselves to be our greatest selves and get better. There's also a point where you remember you're, you're fabulous. You're doing wonderful things and you should be really, really proud of your achievements. 89 books is wonderful. Um, congratulations. But here's the thing. If 100 books is the goal, Backwards plan, be meticulous, chart out your steps, and I have no doubt you're going to get there. Well, Daniel, this has been a very helpful conversation for me. It's been <laughs> so, so great talking with you. Congratulations on completing the program. Thank you for sharing your story, and best of luck with the Million, million Word Challenge. We'll have to have you back on the podcast. Talk, yeah. Tell us how things are going. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And once again, to everyone listening, I wish you only the best. I hope you all, no matter where you are in the world, continue to stay happy, healthy, and finding joy. And that was my interview with Daniel Dickey, a member of our full-time MBA class of 2021. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe. Be well, and thanks for listening.